And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 14, we're given glimpses at the worship in heaven. And as a part of the whole company of heaven, there are four creatures in both passages. One is like a man, one is like a lion, one is like an ox, and the other like an eagle, all worshiping God around the throne. Christian tradition posits that each of these creatures corresponds to one of the evangelists, one of the great saints who are credited with writing the four canonical gospels. The characteristics of each of the creatures correspond to some aspect of the gospel or the gospel writer's personality. The creature shaped like a man is typically taken to be St. Matthew. The creature shaped like a lion is taken to be St. Mark. The ox is St. Luke. And St. John is depicted as an eagle. Lancelot Andrews, the great Anglican divine, points out two scriptures that pertain to eagles that help us to understand St. John. First is Job chapter 39, verse 27. Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? No one ascends to the theological clarity and profundity like St. John. His prologue that we just read is incredible. His in the beginning is much higher than the one of the creation poem in Genesis 1-1 because John has the Trinity in view, especially emphasizing the closeness of the relationship between the Father and the Son. A second feature of eagles, though, can be found in St. Matthew 24-28. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So yes, eagles fly higher than most other creatures, but here in Matthew, our Lord emphasizes their ability to swiftly swoop down. For Lancelot Andrews, this demonstrates St. John's ability to swoop down from the lofty heights at the beginning of his prologue to focus on the incarnation. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so today we'll focus on verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you look at it in the bulletin, you'll see that there are two parts of this verse. The first is the part that's outside the parentheses. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, an objective statement about the word. And second, the part in the parenthesis, the part that St. John testifies to personally, and we saw the glory thereof as the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father. There are three features of the text to draw attention to. First is the mystery at the heart of the text. The word was made flesh. The second is the benefit. The word dwelt among us. And the third is the duty. The word was full of grace and truth. Truly, in this one verse, the story of our salvation is so beautifully distilled. The word is the only begotten son of God, begotten of his father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the father, 
by whom all things were made. The world, the word has always existed. As we affirm in the Nicene Creed, the first person of the Trinity is a father. To be a father, what does he need to have always had? A son. This relationship between the father and the son is so close. It's like the relationship between a thought and a word. Just as our words spring from and convey our thoughts, so the Son is begotten of his Father and always shows the Father to us. He always points us to the Father. But the mystery isn't, in John's prologue isn't really the relationship between the Father and the Son so much as the fact as the Word was made flesh. Flesh is the worst and most base part of who we are. It's in our flesh that we experience concupiscence, Temptation towards immoderate desires, lust that pull us towards the things that are harmful for us. Jonathan Swift makes fun of the flesh in Gulliver's travels when he goes to the when Gulliver goes to the land of the giants and he can see them up close and see just how kind of gross their bodies are. But the word was willing to take even that part of us, even our flesh. And if he was willing to take our most base part, we can have confidence that he took all of our human nature, both a body and a soul. It's important to remember, though, when we conceive of the incarnation, Jesus is not a human person. This would get us into the heresy of Arianism, that Jesus was created or that he wasn't eternally God. It could also get us into Nestorianism, that Jesus is somehow actually two persons instead of one. Nestorius didn't like to call Mary the mother of God. He preferred to call her the mother of Christ. But Christ is God. But rather, Jesus is a divine person, the Word, who's always existed, but has now assumed a human nature, a body and a soul that are joined and united to his person showing us what it looks like for us to be fully human, to show us what human nature looks like when it's divinized through our union with God. By taking on our flesh, the word solves our dilemma. It was Adam and Eve who gave into their fleshly impulses who committed the first sin. Humanity was the guilty party, but the word, the one who was our creator, and the offended party, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And taking on our flesh, justice was satisfied and the word became not just our creator, but also our redeemer. The benefit here is not purely or even primarily a juridical one, but a relational one, Emmanuel. God is with us. God became man that man might become God. And, this, and in this way, we see the benefit. The word dwelt among us. It's often been said that the end of making is being. We make something so that it can be what it is. What does it mean to be human? To live in relationship with God and each other. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And love thy neighbor as thyself. So it's not just that the word became flesh. He dwelt not at a distance. He didn't keep us at arm's length. He dwelt among us. His body knew our aches and pains. His feelings ebbed and flowed. He loved those who were close to him. He experienced being the subject of ridicule and gossip and all the other things that come with being human. He dwelt among us 
a phrase that's reminiscent of pitching a tent or building a tabernacle. The tabernacling of God reminds us that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. And the tent imagery makes us consider him as a soldier waging war against the devil, sin and death via exorcisms, healings and absolving of sin. And having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. In the incarnation, the human nature of the word has been transfigured. There's an overflow of abundance. He's full of grace and truth, St. John says. That grace and truth overflow from him to us, those of us who are in him. In his outpouring of grace, he makes us sons when we had been rebels. In his outpouring of truth, he sets us on the right path after we had erred and strayed from his ways like lost sheep. Grace comes to us first, because without it we couldn't stand. But in Christ, grace and truth meet and kiss each other. He is full of both. There is no shortage of either. And as our benefactor, as our brother, he pours them out for us in abundance. He dispenses grace and truth chiefly by the means he's ordained, by his sacraments, grace, and by the word of God, truth. Through these means, the word is now in us, and we incarnate him in our context. Christians are called to be little Christs, to make Jesus present in all the various contexts that we inhabit. And in this way, we are to make every day Christmas as we live out the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.